It's the Alexandra and Friends podcast, and we're covering the everyday issues of life, health, and wealth. And as always, we have a great panel of experts with us. Here is your host, Alexandra Fincher. Hey, everyone. This is Jose Gillian, the owner of All House Barbecue, located in Louisville and Carrollton. You can find us at allhousebbq.com, and we are the proud new sponsor of Alexandra and Friends. Come and see us. Good evening. Welcome to Alexandro Friends 660 The Answer. This show is brought to you every Saturday night by Miller Title, Roberto Perez. And our new sponsor on the podcast is Mr. Jose Guillen with the Old House Barbecue in Farm- in uh, Carrollton and Louisville, Texas. So we're going to take just a second. We have a great evening this evening. Uh, Mr. Uh, Tatum is not here this evening. Hello, Courtney is here with Good me. Good evening. What's going on with Mr. Tatum? He's got the vid. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's true. Should we? It is. He's he is sent he a couple of pictures. He was not feeling well. Is he going to call us in? I don't think so. He was laid up pretty good the last several days. So wow. Well, let's take just a few minutes and let's go to listen to the Pledge of Allegiance with the Clark family. I pledge allegiance to, to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We're back for this evening. We're having a lot of fun. We're trying to uh, find out where Billy Tatum is. He's telling us he is sick, but you know how it is with Billy. (laughs) Hi, Courtney. How was your week? It was good. It was good. It's just been busy trying to do all the things with the two jobs and the kids and squaring away mom's house. And that should be finalized and closed this month. So So last Saturday Mm -hmm. when we were on our show, you were talking about your hot dates you had. Oh, my goodness. You and my dating life. Well, it's that Billy wants to know, too. Um. I had a coffee date, just somebody that I've known over the years. And, you know, when they find out you've gone through a, a tough time or a struggle, they they start with the, hey, I know I haven't talked to you in 10 years, but I'm just checking in just uh, to see how you're doing, if you need anything. Oh, by the way. <laughs> so that's awesome. how that started. You look awesome. Oh, thank you. So no dating or anything no. so far? Mm-mm. Okay. Well, nope. that's, uh, your kiddos doing okay? They're doing great. Well, we have an amazing evening this evening. I'm excited first, about tonight. First, before we do anything, I want to talk a little bit about our show last Saturday night. Mr. Jose Guillen, the Old House Barbecue. Sweet man. It was an amazing show. Mm-hmm. And he's had so many people coming to the restaurant and talk about it. And he is so tickled to death. And he said, I heard myself and I, I spoke good English. <laughs> <laughs> he was so worried about that. But he, he was, was so worried, but he sounded wonderful. And he is so excited to be our podcast sponsor. So he's from Mexico also. Wow. Are we having wonderful people from other countries are Miller titled Roberto Perez. Mm-hmm. He's from Mexico also and very successful. So this evening we have an amazing uh, guest uh, by the name of Dr. Edwin Flores. He's a trustee for the school district and also running for office, a very big office. But the most important, he is uh, going to be speaking about vaccines. Wow. Immunology. Yes, but yes, we call it vaccines. Okay. I'm excited about COVID, right? Because this is somebody that is uh, not just some random internet person that we've just pulled off the streets. This this person has gone through years of education, is degreed heavily in many different fields, and by trade, you are an immunologist, correct? That's right. Awesome. By well, trade, thank you so this much. Sounds like he's. This is interesting. By trade, I'm, I don't know what know, the right darn, words are. Darn, darn. I mean, he's got all of these. I know dots and. Etc. after his name, all these esquires and all these things. So it's, I don't know what exactly. But I think he's a lawyer too, right? Right. That's right. Oh my gosh, you know, 
wow. all the things. What happened very to impressive. Us? <laughs> very impressive. <laughs> well, good evening. Good evening, Dr. Flores. How are you? Thank you for being here. You were just like the last minute guest for tonight because we had somebody else coming in. But thank you for thank being you. here. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about you. You're from Mexico City. And wow, this last three weeks we've had other, from other countries right? that were amazing. Last week we had our guest was from Mexico City, too. And our sponsor, Roberto Perez, is also from Mexico City. So he was going to be here this morning, but he had a, another meeting. So he's looking forward to meeting you. So welcome back. And thank you so much for being here. So tell us a little bit about you, Dr. Edwin. Sure. So I was I was born and grew up in Mexico City. Uh, my mom is American. Uh, she's from a small town in upstate New York uh, called Ithaca. Oh, Ithaca. And, I played oh. softball at Ithaca College. Oh, oh wow. wow. And, and, and my dad... Uh, is from a small town in Guanajuato called Celaya. Celaya, which is I've in been central there. Mexico. Uh, and they met when my dad was doing his PhD in nuclear physics at Cornell. Oh, wow. 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 Are we not impressed this evening? Wow. So tell us, are you married? Yes. Yes. We've been married. This will be our 34th year this oh, year. Congratulations. And we have two daughters. Excellent. Yeah, How old are your daughters? Uh, 24 and 21. And they go to school? Uh, our youngest is in school. She's a senior, we hope. Uh, <laughs> and our, our older daughter is actually doing a Fulbright year in Korea. Oh, wow. wow. We just went there uh, at the beginning uh, of the month, and she'll be there till till December. Wow. So let me ask you this. Obviously, you come from a, a well-educated household, and then your kids are obviously been well-educated, get to see the world. What's the secret? I mean, what are some things that your parents did that you've taken to pass on to your kids to make them excited and wanting to go to Korea and study. I mean, how does that, how does that happen? Well, it really, it's the family history. So my Mexican grandparents uh, had a second grade education. Uh, they didn't have any opportunities. My dad was the oldest of 14 children, only 10 of which survived childhood. Again, you're talking central Mexico in the twenties and thirties. Oh, wow. Uh, and my dad was the first in his family to finish elementary school. And he was the first in his family to finish middle school. And Celaya didn't have a high school. They actually had to send my dad off to Zamora, Michoacan, which you can imagine back in that day. Today, it's a two-hour drive. Uh, back then was probably a couple-day trip uh, to be able to go to high school. And so he was the fin first to finish high school. And then he was able to go to Mexico City to study at the National Polytechnic Institute. And el Instituto Politécnico Nacional. And got degrees in both mechanical engineering and electrical engineering. And last, when I left Mexico back in the 80s, he was at that time the only person to have been first in his class in two different degrees. And he was then able to study in, in Mexico. So now you're talking about late 40s, early 50s. He was able to study physics at the National University of Mexico, but they didn't have any graduate degrees. And at the time, thanks to this great country, the land of opportunity, uh, and President Eisenhower, he was able to come to the U.S. to study under the Adams for Peace program. And so he was one of the scientists, foreign scientists, who was able to come to the U.S. Wow. And he did his master's uh, in nuclear engineering at Lehigh in Pennsylvania, and then his Ph.D. in nuclear physics at Cornell, and he was actually hooded at the White House. Oh, my goodness. Wow, what That's an impressive. impressive. Very, very impressive. So, so what the, the, the story for our kids and us growing up, and then his, my Mexican aunts and uncles are all also engineers. Uh, this was in the 50s and 60s. My aunts are chemists. Um, wow. and, and you're talking about Mexico and, and, yes. and, and females, too. So this is, you know, clearly education brought our family out of poverty mm -hmm. uh, and being poor, being Mexican, being fill in the blank is not your destiny. 
it's it's the opportunities you create for yourself mm-hmm. uh, and the opportunities that are made available and, and taking advantage of those opportunities. And it's that family history that by the time I was growing up, the question wasn't, well, were you going to finish high school? The question was, what's your PhD going to be in? Mm-hmm. So all, all the stuff Amazing. in between is, mm-hmm. is a given at that point. Well, can you tell us a little bit about your education? So you are, you're also an attorney. So give us a little bit. Where did you finish your university and, and how long, when did you get to the United States? When, when were you? Right. So I finished high school at the American School in Mexico City and was able to come uh, and study uh, microbiology at the University of Texas. So I have a BS in microbiology from the University of Texas. And I want, always wanted to be a molecular biologist. And at the time, so this is mid-80s, uh, HIV was the big thing mm-hmm. and it had just been sequenced and, and you know, isolated and sequenced. And the university where that work had been done was Washington University in St. Louis at the medical school and a fantastic immunology program. And I really wanted to be a virologist, but I found out that Lee Ratner's lab had a, a 30 person <laughs> wait list. Uh, and I said, well, that's fine. And I talked to my, my immunology professor at, at UT who'd gone to Caltech and she said, I told her, Hey, I've been accepted to all these different schools. And she's like, "Wash you, you need that. That is where things are happening in immunology. That is the right now, the best, the, the, the school that really has the most really interesting research going on. And so I said, well, that's, that's an easy decision. So I went to wash you, uh, in St. Louis for my PhD. Uh, my wife and I were married uh, right after undergraduate, and she went to law school while I was doing my PhD. Uh, and I, I finished my PhD in, in molecular immunology, so I did do the molecular biology, but then also got to do the immunology, which was great. What an amazing life, because when I met you, you were a district attorney. I was an assistant the district assistant attorney. assistant district yeah. attorney for, for Hill, if I recall yep. correctly. Well, hold That's on right. a second. Um, we need to, <laughs> yeah, how we, do we, we go jumped. from <laughs> that to that? So fill in the, fill in the, yes. the error of that. I guess, change of uh, profession. It's well, a little different. Right. It's a lawyer. So, yeah. And, and what ended up happening is my, I was, I was doing my PhD. I was, I, I thought a really good pair of hands was really good in the lab. Uh, my wife was going to law school and she invited me to an event that one of her fellow students was having on patent law. And I, I thought that was really intriguing. And I asked myself, well, how many PhD immunologists in the United States are also lawyers? And I came up with a number of about 20 doing some math based on like how many immunology students and whatnot. Um, I was probably wrong. It's probably about 40. <laughs> so I was probably out by, you know, factor of two. But um, the, it really intrigued me. I'd always been very interested in politics, uh, you know, growing up overseas as an American overseas. You always see the world in kind of a very different way. You see kind of the, the position, you know, you have this beacon of hope. This is the United States. And you see other countries like Mexico was taking a deep dive into socialism at mm-hmm. the time. And you saw how it and just still. destroyed. Right. They, and then came back out and that is now mm-hmm. back uh, into kind of its socialist uh, universe. And how it destroyed families, businesses, opportunities. And all those folks then, you know, would look at the U.S. and said, that's where the jobs are. That's where I can, you know, make a living, send money back to my family. And it's always been this beacon of hope. For the world, mm-hmm. uh, and a leader in in freedom and liberty. Do you still feel like it's that today? Do you still feel like the consensus is that for today? Well, I'm I'm certainly very hopeful. Uh, I think that that Americans are very resilient. We're coming out of COVID. The COVID's over. I mean, let's just let's just be blunt. Amen. The rest of the world has already agreed it's over. 
the Scandinavian countries have said it's over. Britain has said, you know, the dominoes in Europe are all going to fall, and we're just going to have to live with it as an endemic uh, and, you know, protect those that need to be protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are sick, you know, protect others. Uh, but I think that it's here to stay the same way that the flu is. The flu never goes away. Right. And I'm so sorry, I sidetracked. So then you were interested in the patent law, and then what happened? So then a series of circumstances, I ended up getting a job as a patent agent in a law firm in Austin when I finished my PhD, and then I figured out that law firms are for lawyers, and I'd already taken the LSAT and whatnot, and so then I went to the University of Texas. took that, no big deal. It's like The University of Texas uh, School of Law. Well, we're going to bring you right back because this is we're getting into the meat and potatoes. potatoes. So I just want to let you all know that all of our previous podcasts are loaded onto our website, Alexander and Friends. If you want to go ahead and check that out, that would be great. And then you can also like our Facebook page, Alexander and Friends 660. Miss Courtney is here this evening with and we're really have a great guest and a great producer. Michael Clark is always here with us. And uh, maybe he might jump in to ask questions as we Move through the evening. Ooh. So, you know, he loves these hard <laughs> questions. And, and since we have an amazing man here tonight who has got so many, such an amazing background of so many things. Agree. So I'm going to kind of bring it back to Courtney and let and let her try and get him to talk about things that are difficult. Well, we need to pick Dr. up. Edwin we're, we're still going through the timeline yes. here. So, yes. OK, pick up where you left off. So you're in Austin. I'm in Austin at the University of Texas, yeah. Yes. And then what happened? Well, then I got a job here in Austin. Uh, in, in Austin, I got here a, a job here in Dallas uh, at, a, at a patent law firm, mm-hmm. uh, a small boutique called Warren Perez. Uh, we were, you know, really uh, kind of the, one, an up-and-coming patent boutique. I, I, I write patents for a living is what I wow. do. And then we were bought out by a firm, a presti- very prestigious downtown firm, Gardier & Wynn. Uh, and we were there. And, and while I was there, which is when I met Alexandra, was when they had loaned me out to the DA's office for three months. And so I was an assistant district attorney and tried misdemeanor cases in uh, county criminal court number four before Judge Tate uh, for three months. And it was the, you, you do everything when you're an assistant. You're, we call, I was what they call a number three. There's a chief, a number two, and a number three. So it all rolls downhill. So mm-hmm. I had to do the interviews with the, with the law enforcement officers or the victims I uh, got to then pick the help pick the jury, then try the case, uh, and it was it was very exciting. And unfortunately, the the running joke was that I actually that my I lost my first seven cases. Oh, that's uh, so sad. And so I would go back to Gardier, and they said they thought I was part of the Gardier early release program. <laughs> uh, but then then I, I you know I got some some uh, air under my wings, and then after that I uh, I won a bunch pretty much every case after that, including one against. Uh, the person who's considered the best DWI lawyer in Texas. Oh, who is it? Uh, it's the Hammer? The George Milner the oh. third. Uh, he is a fantastic lawyer, uh, but uh, and, and the, you know the facts and the law the were on our side, and yeah. and the and the jury agreed. Very good. Um, I'm an insurance adjuster by trade, and so I'm familiar with you know with that. So that's different. Patent law seems super boring to me. I don't I don't really understand it. So. Um, if I want to start my business or my tag name or something, that's I come to somebody like you just to. Right. That's the, the broader. And I also we, we do basically intellectual property patent is what I do mostly. But mm-hmm. we do trademarks and copyrights and work with clients on trade secrets and licensing. Small companies uh, will help help them with startups. And usually you have every form of intellectual property mm-hmm. issues. 
Uh, you have to have agreements with your employees and those types of things. So we help set them up. Do you still do that now? Yes, that is my my full time job. So do you see that uh, different now with all the social media? I mean, is it the weirdest stuff is being patented and trademarked based on hashtags and TikToks and stuff like that? Are you seeing anything like that or are you still working with like the real stuff? <laughs> well, I, I would say 95 percent of my work is patent work. I work with a lot of universities in the state of mm-hmm. Texas protecting their inventions so that they can monetize and you know, being a biotechnology patent lawyer. Uh, you can imagine I've been fairly busy the last uh, year and a half oh, working on vaccines and treatments, but things like like, like respirators, uh, treatment Respirator. regimens, wow. uh, all sorts of kind of pharmaceuticals that that would help. You know, treating so a lot this of the stuff that's other, coming out, like the pill that they are now the approving. chewing gum, right? I mean, yes. so those are the types of things that we would protect. I've been reading okay. about that. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're, excuse me a second, but so you are, you have, you're the managing partner and founder of the, uh, chalk, chalker Flores? Chalker Flores. What is, is that chalker is your partner? Right. He's my business partner. Your business partner. Okay. And is your you wife open? involved in this too? Or she, is she, she does the trademarks in my okay. office. <laughs> wow. What an amazing. And his wife Where are you located? Works, uh, we're in Addison. In right Addison. at Beltline and the tollway. Okay. So we need to, if I get a vacuum cleaner that I can start, I can come to you for a patent. That's right. Are you in the, do you do that at night in the hobby? Like tinkering (laughs) in the garage on your vacuum? You were talking, but I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if I had a vacuum cleaner, I don't even know how to use one, but it's okay. Right. (laughs) Okay. So let's get to the good stuff. Let's get into the good stuff. So now we know a little bit about your background and obviously some things have stuck in my brain. So immunology, uh, you get an in with kind of the, the, workings of what's going on with all the covid stuff so tell me tell me where this is all going you're telling me covid is no longer a thing right which i agree i don't think it's been a thing for a while and and my viewpoint having had covid and having treated with it accordingly is a little bit different but what i'm seeing is a lot of my vaccinated friends have reached out to me for my um medicine regimen that i took when i was diagnosed with covid which i find it a little interesting so you mentioned before that you've been vaccinated. You're obviously your your background. You you are a firm believer in vaccinations. There's no anti-vax talk or anything like that about that. But tell me, tell me what we're doing. What what happens next? What are what's going on? Well, if history and I think it is playing out this way. We looked at the flu of 1918, and you look at the data and the waves of what happened then. Mm-hmm. It was basically a three year cycle. But remember, they didn't have vaccines. We have vaccines. It was a three-year cycle, and you would get these spikes where you would get a very big number of people who would get it, then a smaller number and a smaller number, and eventually, as the flu weakened and more people had immunity to it, it went away. Uh, it just petered out. I mean, of course, the flu has never gone away. The flu will continue to exist, uh, and its its various variations will continue. The flu, flu is a very interesting virus because what what you see in in the immunology terms is you see both sh- a shift and a drift. So most of the time, the, the antigenic profile of it, what it looks like to the immune system, is drifting. So there are small changes, small mutations that happen to the virus, and the immune system has to adapt to that, but it's because they're very, very small mutations. But every decade or two, you get what's called a shift, where there's a major change uh, in the virus, and, and then there is no immunity to that, and then it takes a while to develop you know, kind of herd immunity around it and enough people to get it. Um, so that's 
Well, okay. That's the history of flu, and her, this, this coronavirus is acting just like it. Well, what happened to the flu the last year and a half? Where did it go? Well, that, that's an interesting question. Uh, I think that in many cases, the patients, I'll give you a story. So my daughter had the original COVID back a year and a half ago, back April. So mm-hmm. they came to the U.S. in February, March. She had it in April, and uh, her and her boyfriend had it. They walk in. And they say, you have a runny nose, you have a sore throat, you've lost your sense of smell or taste, you've got COVID. And I think what was happening is a lot of people would walk into the, the ER or the, you know, the, the, the clinic and they say, well, you've got a sore throat, runny nose, oh, you've got COVID. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's amazing how the flu disappeared. Just totally fell off the face right. of the earth. So you're saying it was like a diagnosis just by like site instead of by testing is probably what drove the numbers of flu down. Well, I think that there was, you look at doctors, look at symptoms when you walk mm-hmm. into your doctor. Sure. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're diagnosing based on a flu chart. Right. I mean, they go through, you know, they spend many but years sometimes they diagnose. Learn those things. I mean, one thing is that they actually do the, the test and mm-hmm. swab you and test you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the, the case of my daughter, they didn't. Okay. Uh, and I think that in many cases, just because of the volume, I mean, you're just dealing with the volume of people coming in with those symptoms. So they were just calling them as they say, as they saw them. Right. They, right. they saw symptoms. They say this is what's prevalent right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the government was paying for all this. And, yet, yet, it seems related, they, and so. yet it seems they were doing that for over a year and they didn't ever catch on that they were decreasing the number of flu and making that look silly. Well, now the number of flu cases, because now they're testing for it. Yeah. You now know, we now, have flu Rona. Yeah, now you have Florona. I just had right? Florona. <laughs> but, and that's the thing. When I had COVID the first time, I tested negative. My husband at the time tested positive. We had the same exact thing going on. So clearly I was, I was positive. And that's the thing that, you know, now I think people are starting to understand if you're sick, you're sick, right? I mean, we just need to treat for it and move on. Why, why all the testing? And now you're seeing the restrictions being reduced and your quarantine times. I think everyone's just trying to be done with it, right? Yeah. But we still have a population of people, you know, there's where my kids go to school. There is a thousands group Facebook page dedicated to just bashing the fact that we are still not keeping our kids home for these 10 days. And if they're in the same household, not keeping them home. And it's like, you know, how you go to the other part, how is all this impacting these kids? Right. And then we, we turn to everything that we see in the news on a regular basis, people that are suffering with mental health, kids that are behind in school, kids are socially uh, inept at this point because there's some kids that haven't even stepped foot in a school. And then the other part is, I feel like we live in a different country down here. I'm from Boston. Things are so different up there still. I mean, they're still kind of tracking where we were eight, 10 months ago. So what do we do? What's the plan? Right. Well, Ed, we see this in the in the school district. So Mm -hmm. my my other role uh, is as a school board trustee in Dallas. And we've seen that the. Academically, we've seen the effect Mm -hmm. that have been significant. That year of of online learning was basically a year lost, Mm -hmm. even though our teachers worked incredibly hard. Families did what they could, you know, for their kids. We deployed uh, 90 percent, 92 percent of kids in Dallas ISD are in poverty. And so for those kids that had no devices at home, had no Internet at home, we had to provide all the devices. Mm-hmm. And we deployed about 40,000 devices plus so that they could do some semblance of continuing online learning. But 
we saw the learning loss. What we're seeing now that the kids are back in school is those those social emotional problems that have come from being not being around other kids right. for a year and a half, and and, and it's being seen everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's not a it's Dallas not just issue. poverty issue. It's you it's everywhere. Suburbs, exactly. And and I've heard stories of you know our most wealthy prominent mm-hmm. suburbs having the same type of exactly fights yeah. at schools fights with teachers you know just that 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 socialization mm-hmm. process is just going to take a while unfortunately because they didn't have you know a year or two of preparation you know training to stay focused at home like homeschooling their parents didn't know what to do they didn't know what to do they were just thrown into it right away and of course, the year was lost because they weren't prepared for it. They didn't have any sort of uh, ground to work from. I'm going to tell the story when we come back. How many more minutes do we have? Three. Oh, you just saw that in four minutes. Yeah, I did. That was a minute ago. Dang. Now it's three. Well, I'm going to tell you a story. So, so with um, the whatever I did, homeschooling, I put that in quotations. Um, I had two kids at home already. They were, I don't know, eight, nine at the time and 11, 12. And then I had... My husband's kids and their biological mom had to work. She had to go into the office. So we had them for whatever that three, four month span was. It was quite interesting to see the difference in how parents um, parent during that time. I I mean, we were getting up every day at the same time. You were getting your work done. You had a schedule. You didn't get to play until everything was done. It was very structured for the fact of I know that when you get out of a routine, right, it's very difficult to reenter back into that. Well, that was only so much I can do with my stepkids at the time. And you could see at 10 o'clock, they're in the pool hanging out, you know, and I look at the grades and the grades, they're failing. Right. And so I'm emailing teachers and um, just work wasn't being turned in. But there wasn't a parent that necessarily, you know, sometimes it's easier to believe our kids and just, yeah, I got it done, mom and dad. Oh, I'm going to trust that you did it. I'm over here like I know better. This is not my first rodeo. So I'm checking the actual grades and they weren't inputted. and so. Those kids, they had to go back through summer school again. So they had to do online summer school after they just completed, you know, half a semester at home. And so I can see how it's hard for a parent, especially when you're trying to work and you're trying to manage your kids. And it's exhausting, right? They want to fight you. They don't want to do the work. They don't understand it. I don't understand it. I mean, beyond second grade math, I have no clue how to do the common core and all that stuff. And so I get it. But now it's like we need to be done, right? We need to be done and the kids need to be back and we need to do whatever we can to integrate them back into normalcy. So real quick question. So as a trustee, what do you think about this school, Dallas Independent School District, especially with Michael Hinojosa leaving now? What, what's what's going to happen here? Are we going to start a new chapter of schools for DISD or the kids are just there's it, just like a stop. And also, our podcast is brought to you by Old House Barbecue, Mr. Jose Guillen. And if you are listening to a podcast, make sure that you listen to Alexander and Friends. Well, we're back with Dr. Edwin Flores and with Courtney and our producer, Michael Clark. So we had a com- you had a question for Dr. Edwin Flores. Yes, we went down. I don't know. We diverted somewhere. But we were talking about what's next with everything with COVID. What you got? Well, I know that the superintendent is looking at the timing and Omicron and when to basically take away the masks at the schools. Everybody's uh, got Omicron right now, right? I mean, yeah, do you feel? I did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like we all have had it. Okay. Is that what I had with my booster? <laughs> no, you just had a reaction to the shot, I oh, think. Oh, okay. Yep. And 
you know, we, all, we have another issue going on with the school district is that uh, Dr. Nojosa has decided to retire as a school superintendent after 20 some odd years, 26, seven, eight years as a superintendent, uh, uh, effective kind of at the end of the year. And so the school district is about to start going through the process of hiring a search firm to be, they be able to create a profile for what the community wants to be our next superintendent and then casting the net out there to Are you going to apply for that? I feel like you should just do it. It's really funny. There's actually a law <laughs> in the state of Texas that prohibits school trustees from being a superintendent oh. of that same school district for 18 years. Okay. For 18 oh, months. okay. The, the, the Rod Page rule. Houston did this very, 20 very some good. odd years ago. And then the legislators thought that that wasn't a good idea. So they created <laughs> this 18 month gap. Interesting. So where so he's going to retire and what are we what are we looking for? Like, what does the future hold for our kids and with the mask? And I mean, I don't necessarily when they tell us to wear a mask. OK, I'm not I'm over it. Right. I don't really for the schools. You know, the kids are coughing and picking their nose and doing God knows what next to each other. They're gross. I get that. But why? Like, have we do we have enough research to show that it's not as effective as we think it is? I mean, excellent well, right. question. There was there was research before the pandemic that shows that really, unless you're wearing this was pre-pandemic research, you know, peer reviewed, mm-hmm. scientifically mm-hmm. published, uh, that showed that the N95 masks are really effective. Uh, but once you go beyond the N95 masks, it, it really isn't. Uh, if you look at Asia, where it's very cultural, it's very common to see people wearing masks, and you know, every time mm-hmm. I visited China, that certainly was the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it is to protect others. I mean, it's considered polite that if you're sick and you do still need to go out, you would wear a mask. It's also extremely polluted. So in some cases, it's people protecting themselves. Absolutely. Uh Um, But in the case of our schools, we we know at the beginning of the school year, before kids could get vaccinated, that 30% of our parents said, I'm not sending my kid to school if they're not wearing masks. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's 50,000 kids in the Dallas Independent School District. So, you know, the administration made the decision. That's not the trustee's decision to make. Uh, they, they run the school district. Uh, we can object. And, and I have encouraged, been encouraging Dr. Nosa for months now, uh, per, you know, just him and I saying, hey, we need to, you know, end the vac- end the masks, end the masks. You know, now that the kids can get vaccinated, the adults come to get vaccinated. We provided incentives for both our, our employees and, and students uh, that if they showed their vaccination, there was a financial incentive to do so. As, a, as an immunologist, I think it's a really good idea to get vaccinated, but I can understand folks that uh, don't trust the vaccine because they think it went through too short a regulatory process. Uh, they're in a place they've already had COVID. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, I fall in that category, but it's also a whole other layer of research that's available on like the, what is it? The VARS site, VAR site. Right. I mean, that's alarming to me. And also when I hear about just on a level of just other moms that have been vaccinated, seeing their impact on their menstrual cycle, um, seeing the myocardiac issues. My mother had received her booster. She obviously, you know, she's passed, but it wasn't as a result of that. But when I talked to the cardiologist and I said, this this is kind of weird that she has now gone into further heart failure after the booster. I said, could this be a result? He's like, it very well could be. I'm seeing that in my patients. That concerns me, right? And so, yes, now that I've had COVID, I've managed to treat with it. My kids have never gotten it. They've played sports since May of 2020. They were around other kids. They were out. They went to summer camps. I mean, they did all the things. We never really shut, shut down in our house. 
it's hard for me to justify taking that chance. And that's the part where now I'm seeing all of these vaccinated individuals, they're still getting COVID. And then the question is, well, I got the vaccination in the event that I got COVID, so I didn't die. But there's still people that are dying that are vaccinated. So that's what I struggle with. Tell me, tell me what to do. (laughs) Well, like the flu, Mm -hmm. coronas are respiratory viruses and the vaccines Mm -hmm. that exist for respiratory viruses are there really to prevent the symptoms. They're not going to prevent you from being infected. So so if you can be infected, for example, and not have any symptoms ever. Right. So, uh, doctor, let me, while you have that, you just, a question. So what's the difference between the flu shot or the flu vaccine? The flu isn't a vaccine though, right? Well, it's a flu shot. There is a there is a flu vaccine. Yeah, okay, there is a, but the one that we get every year is just the. So, what is the difference between that and the COVID vaccine? Isn't that what we're doing for both to prevent the the flu or prevent the COVID? Well, yes, flu and coronaviruses are completely different viruses. So structurally, that they're different. Their genomes are different. Okay. How they es- escape the immune system is completely different. So they're they're two different diseases. Hmm. Okay. So, so I wanted to just ask that question when it came through. Okay. Uh, The vaccines that are provided worldwide for the flu, uh, for example, are made in eggs, which means that if you have a allergy to eggs, you can't take the flu vaccine. It's not going to prevent you from getting the flu. It's going to prevent you from being down for two weeks with aches and pains and not being able to work. And instead, you maybe will only have symptoms for two or three days. And then, you know, we'll be able to to manage the infection and clear the infection. So it doesn't prevent you from getting it. And I think in some ways, uh, when they talked about the COVID vaccine, they overpromised what a vaccine does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just pre- it doesn't prevent you from getting infected again. Uh, the same way that if you get your tetanus shot, you know how you get your tetanus mm-hmm, shot when you're a little mm-hmm. kid. But if you're older and you cut yourself and it's a it's a it's a rusty nail. Mm-hmm. Guess what? They tell you to take a tetanus vaccine. Why? Because the bacteria that releases the tetanus toxin is in our, it's in all the dirt. It's everywhere. Interesting. And, and what, what hurts you, what can kill you is the toxin it generates, not the bacterial infection itself. It's the toxin it generates. And so the, the vaccine is that you develop antibodies against the toxin. You knock out the toxin so you can never get sick. You still have the infection with the bacteria that cause that that releases the toxin. Uh, but most of the time with antibiotics, you can clear that you have your cut, you put your, you know, your antibiotic cream mm-hmm. and it clears the bacterial infection. But what could have killed you was the toxin, not the bacteria itself. Is that where it goes when that becomes the hepatitis B or whatever it is from the, from the, from that particular cut? Is that what, where it goes? Right. So hepatitis B is a virus uh-huh. uh, and it's, and they're very, they're different types of hepatitis. Interesting. There's A, there's B, there's C. Uh, how they're transmitted is different. Uh, and, you know, now that we have vaccines, I mean, we have some, uh, you know, different vaccines for uh, some certain types. I believe it's ovarian cancer that, that we have uh, against HPV. Mm-hmm. And, and those vaccines, again, are there to generate the immune system that you need to clear the infection. Wow. So what you're trying to tell me now that I'm going to have to be ready to take all the vaccines that are coming up because you've got now number four, number five, and number six that are being talked about. So do we continue taking vaccines? And what happens to all the medicines that are available now to take care of, of these issues? What, where, where do we go from here? Well, every single person should talk to their own physician, their mm-hmm. own doctor, before mm-hmm. making these kinds of decisions. Okay. Uh, I think that that is a decision that, 
that a doctor can say, hey, you know, should you take the booster? One of my daughters had a very bad reaction to the vaccine. I did. I had really, really bad. And and, I still, you know, we reported it through VAERS and all that. You know, we went through all the hoops to make sure it was reported because she did have a very bad reaction and kind of long term reaction to it. Um, And so it's important that we know that there's that possibility. And again, so the decision between my daughter and the doctor is who should govern whether or not. But that's the key. But the choice. Right. So then it comes down to the individual choice. I'm sick of being shamed because I chose not to get me or my kids vaccinated, even though that I've had COVID and treated for it with medicine that's been available. Why am I still getting shamed for it? And and that's what's incomprehensible, frankly. And why am I why is it being mandated? Like I was so excited. Uh, one of my daughters got invited to apply for this program overseas and she was like, I want to do it. It's in London. It's for a week. It's going to be so great. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go through the, the paperwork. Bold have to be vaccinated. I'm not, I mean, it just, why? As an immunologist, it doesn't make any sense. If you've already had COVID, you could, you know, you tested positive for COVID, you have the symptoms, you know, like my our older daughter, you know, she lost her sense of smell or taste. You have better immunity than any vaccine could ever provide you because you're generating vaccine against every aspect of the virus, not just the spike protein. The vaccines that we make are really just to that piece of the pro of the of the virus that sticks out mm-hmm. of the spike protein but you can develop immunity to all the different components the internal components uh the the, the enzymes that are involved in processing the rna all you can generate immunity and when you have the disease itself you generate a a pan immunity immunity against every component of the virus so you actually have better immunity than you could from the vaccine and any self-respecting immunologist will tell you that Uh, This may be a little bit before your time, but I read that in the mid to late 70s when the Hong Kong flu came out, there was a nationwide vaccine mandate as well. And after about 25% of the people got vaccinated, they canceled it because they had, I believe, 400 bad reactions to the vaccine. What happened to the United States between 1975 and today that we have? Well, we had something like that in the... Not too long ago, we had something in the U.S. and they pulled it. What was it for? Which, which chicken pox? No, it was um like what was it pig flu or something or what was the well, thing? We had the swine flu. Yeah, swine and flu. It, they started no... vaccinating people and they were having bad reactions, so they pulled it. But wasn't it, that? Yeah, but it wasn't a nationwide vaccine right. uh, mandate. But it still provided enough input and data to say, hey, this is not helpful, right? Right. This, so I'm, what I'm asking is why what's happened in the United yeah, States since is, then that we're not actually looking at the data anymore and we don't care that thousands of people have bad reactions or that several hundred people may have died from vaccines and stuff like that. Why what have we done? We elected the wrong people? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that the biggest problem was that this this became politicized. Right. It, it you know, you either, you know, if 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 you were, you know, a a Republican that supported Trump and the vaccine was being developed under Operation Warp Speed. At the time, candidate Biden and, and Kamala Harris were saying, oh, we're not going to take it. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. And then they get elected and automatically they flip sides. Suddenly it's like, oh, this everybody needs to get vaccinated. It's going to be a mandate. You know, they tried to do the mandates and lost at the Supreme Court. Do you think that'll continue to keep losing? Or you think that it'll. Well, I think that that. As covid goes away those lawsuits will all go away. It, you know, the, the, for example, the mask mandate in the state of Texas, right? The governor saying, well, masks and no masks. 
Then all the lawsuits started. Those lawsuits are still in the courts. Nothing's been decided. Do you think the people that have filed suit because they lost their jobs because of these vaccine mandates, do you think they're going to win that eventually? Or do you think they're just going to be dropped or potentially maybe hopefully settled in some fashion or what will most likely happen is that they'll settle and they'll get some kind of compensation for their lost wages, uh, especially if they were government employees. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're they have all sorts of layers of protection uh, that, you know, will will they'll be able, you know, with their unions and everything, we'll be able to, to force the government entities to, to settle and give them some kind of compensation. Check out our Facebook, Alexander and Friends 660. You can go ahead and like our page there and go through all of our previous posts. And then check out our website, alexanderandfriends.com. We are really having an amazing conversation about COVID, boosters, uh, masks, uh, and Courtney's really getting into it. I mean, you can, she's slapping the, the table here and, <laughs> and uh, getting all, all excited. So, Courtney, we this is a, an amazing conversation. And I think it brings everybody together to one thing. How do you report when you have reactions to this booster? Mm -hmm. And he just gave us an, I think you might want to let the community know where they can go and report this. Because if if you go to the emergency room, they don't report it. They don't have that availability like I did. And my doctor kind of believes in take it, take it, take it. So uh, thank you for telling me where I need to go. Where do, where do you actually uh, go I, to? I believe it's called the Vaccine Adverse Reaction Reporting System or VAERS. You can Google it. Okay, can, very you know, good. That's good to know. And, I didn't and, know and that. And it's an online form. That's a, that's what we did excellent, with my daughter. Excellent. So I think we were talking about where Courtney can even travel because she didn't have, she has not had the vaccines and I had to carry, I, I carry my cart now to even go to my office at American Airlines when I need to go. I have to show that I had my COVID, my passport. So mm-hmm. it's just our, our whole country is, is, a, is a total disaster with this. And I feel like we need to come out of it. Well, I feel like Omicron maybe have maybe has shifted some views with some things, right? I don't know. That's just me. I mean, literally everybody I know has had it um, in the last month. And it it's so different than the first time around. Um, it, it was crazy. But, you know, I... Again, I treated with medicine. We've talked about this before. We can't can't really talk about it, but I talk about it. And it's like, if that works, then why not take it and just get over it? I was down for a day and a half. It was a day of death. (laughs) I'll tell you that. But I felt better once I got some medicine into me. Did Um, you have pneumonia also? I felt like I had pneumonia. Mm -hmm. Well, I think since we're coming to the uh, end of our show here pretty soon, I think we need to bring Dr. Um, Flores in and tell us a little bit about what is he going to do now that he's going to grow up and, and, mm-hmm. and what is happening with the city? And tell us about what, what your dreams are the next uh, couple of years. Well, uh, I filed uh, last December to run for Dallas County Judge. Yay! Thank you. It's time that we really, uh, we have turned around the Dallas Independent School District. It is the most improved district, uh, urban district in the state of Texas, for sure, probably in the country. Awesome. And awesome. bringing those kind of common sense, conservative business practices to the school district is how we turned it around. And I think that that's, uh, I'm looking to do so at the level of the county. Uh, how, what happens with the entire county affects Dallas ISD, affects the, the city of Dallas, mm-hmm. and all the other 30 municipalities that are in, in Dallas County. And uh, businesses, if I may interrupt, businesses get, this is one of the worst things. Th- that's right. The- and, and law and order. I mean, first things first, eliminate all the mandates. They, in fact, they just passed uh, last week a vaccine mandate for county employees. Oh. When the Supreme Court has already said, 
you know, you can't do that, at least not at the federal level. The question is whether at the state or local level you can do that. Mm -hmm. But again, as I said, if you've, if you're already had COVID, you have better immunity. So those folks should be lumped in for sure Mm -hmm. with those that have been vaccinated. Uh, And then exemptions should be made as we did with the Dallas Independent School District. If you're, you know, have adverse reactions to, to, to vaccines in general, uh, if you have religious reasons why you can't uh, or some kind of other reason, medical reason that, that you can't take the vaccine or wear a mask or whatever, those things uh, or exemptions in, in Dallas ISD and those same exemptions should apply, to, I think, to all employees. So and and the mandates, both the mask and the vaccine. Uh, one thing that that the county runs that I think is a major issue and it's a law and order issue is the county jail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we mm-hmm. know about the problems mm-hmm. with county jail. A lot of those problems of, of internal operations have been fixed. What hasn't been fixed is the intake system. So it takes between four and seven hours to book uh, somebody into the, the jail in Dallas. That's four to seven hours that the one or two or three officers that were involved in the arrest are not out on the streets. They're not out protecting and serving and getting to know the community. This is squarely, falls squarely as part of the job of, uh, the Dallas County judge, uh, and, and, and he's failed. I'll give you an example. I'm on the board of, of a hospital and we were told that there was no way you can do intake of a emergency room patient in less than 12 hours, two hours. There was no way, absolutely no way to do it. And we we're like, there's, we have to do better than that. Mm-hmm. And so they worked on it, did an anal- analysis, came back and said, okay, uh, we've gotten it down to an hour and 45 minutes. And we're like, you know, when you're with your sick kid, at the emergency room, you don't want to wait for an hour and a half. You know, their wrist is broken, whatever it is. Um, other pri- higher priority patients would go first. And we said, there's no way. An hour and 45 is unconscionable. So we pushed them and pushed them. Eventually, they got it down to 45 minutes. And we said, no, you can do better. They got it down to 30. And then suddenly the, the folks said, well, wait a minute. We are so much better than all the other hospitals. We should advertise this. So they put a big billboard on I know, which hospital now? <laughs> Big billboard on 635 that said how many minutes to see a doctor in the emergency room. They got it down to eight minutes. That's I remember awesome. seeing the billboard and thinking, awesome. this is what I'm talking about. If you're very public about it, and I would put a big sign outside the jail to let officers know this is what you're going to wait. And then I'd go to all the cities that are spending all this extra money on overtime. City of Dallas alone is $20 million. Go to all the municipalities and cities and say, hey, if we all put a little money in the pot, we could rebuild the intake system. And let's get it down to 15 minutes or 30, you know, something that is not four to seven hours <laughs> working together with the other cities. That's something that that the current county judge has not done particularly Agreed. well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Agreed. plenty of stories about uh, fighting with with other uh, municipalities mm-hmm. with the Dallas Independent School District. We've entered we, we used to have a very contentious relationship with the city of Dallas back when I first started in 2005. Now we have a really good relationship with the city of Dallas where our superintendent and the city manager have direct communications constantly to work on issues of common concern, law and order around our schools, uh, so that we have our own police department in Dallas ISD, but we need to work with DPD very closely uh, to monitor things. Mm-hmm. So those are the kinds of relationships that, that you have to have, that they have to build personally, mm-hmm. and you have to build systemically into the system so that when the people change, the systems don't change. And, and th- so those are some of the things that, that I want to bring uh, if, you know, That's if I awesome. beat Clay Jenkins November uh, for Dallas County Judge. Is it just you and Clay? 
So right else? now I have a primary. Okay. I have a primary uh, March 1st. Early voting begins uh, uh, February 14th. Uh, and But if I have to win the primary to then be the candidate, uh, the Republican candidate to run against Clay Jenkins, because he has his own primary. So Is there somebody else that's running the primary against you now? Yes. Okay. Excellent. So would you like to give out your website and are you oh, get, sure. soliciting donations or anything Absolutely. like that? Absolutely. Okay. Edwinfordallas.com, the number four Edwin, the number four Dallas.com. Uh, yes, you can make donations online. We, you know, it, it, it's Right now it's a sprint to March 1st for the Republican primary. To be able to vote for me, you have to actually vote in the Republican primary. Uh, there have been some, some – this is another issue, uh, election law issues, uh, where – the, the state has passed laws to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat. Well, Good. Just last week, the county judge went out and against the advice of the DA, the lawyers of that represent the county, who have said, yes, we need to follow this election law, he went out and hired other lawyers hoping that they will give him a different answer, <laughs> an answer that he likes, not the answers that he didn't like. Uh, so this is this transparency problem that, that we've seen now uh, over and over and over with with the county judge, he has his own special COVID task force. Sounds that, like Doctor Fauci. Yeah, that that gives him advice, but the meetings aren't open. There are no open records on their meetings. There's no open meetings on them, even though the county health department has a health committee. So he's ignoring the health committee, going to his little pocket of. Uh, plaintiff's attorneys that he's been talking to, and they give him the advice as to what to do about the masks and COVID and whatnot uh, in secret meetings, not the transparency, not being open as they would with the with the health committee. And so that's something the, that you would bring, right? I mean, we sure. would eliminate all those. Another issue is is consultants. I think they're way. We saw this in the Dallas Independent School District when we cleaned them all out. Oh. Uh, revolving door policy. I think there needs to be an ethics policy. We passed one back in the, you know, like 2012, 2013 in the Dallas Independent, no, it was before that, it was 20, 2010, where we eliminated the revolving door of employees then becoming consultants uh, and the all the all the consulting contracts mm-hmm. that and were the money. happening. And, and well, this is all money, right? This mm-hmm. is our money. This mm-hmm. is taxpayer money. Uh, eliminating all that. Uh, bring it, you know, the city of Dallas did ethics reform just a couple months ago or not within the last month. And, and I think that we need to bring that same level of transparency and an ethics policy uh, that applies also to the county, the county court. Now, what did Clay Jenkins do prior to becoming in his position? Really? I need to research that because I mean, just listening to you, the you kind of hit two key points. You've got, You've got you're integrated into the school system, right, which is where things start. This is the, this is the education. These are the opportunities. This is what we need to do. And then you're also looking for a buy in for the entire community, including all the people that we interact with on a regular basis to do the right thing and to be out on the streets and to be protecting the community. And hopefully the two go hand in hand where we educate these kids and they break the cycle. Right. I don't know. It's exciting. And that's really important. And and a couple of things we've done in the Dallas Independent School District are very, very exciting. We have our early college high school programs where first in their family to college get to be able to finish a two-year associate's degree while they're finishing their high school. Uh, We have, I think, approaching uh, seven to 8,000 kids that are in that program right now. So they will graduate. My daughter's in that program. Oh, awesome. Mm -hmm, Yep. And. And then we also have our new, our, the new kid on the block, which is kind of the old kid on the block, but it, it, it's new in a sense, are our new career institutes. And the career institutes 
which were my idea, and I'm very excited about this because our last bond included about $200 million to construct our hubs where we're going to do. And these are for all the trades. So this is, But the trades aren't what they used to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really need to have in-depth knowledge. Any job you have today requires using a computer. I don't Mm -hmm. care. If you're doing, you know, framing or roofing, plumbing, plumbing, but we all, it's also cybersecurity. Right. It's all the health trades. Uh, we have a, a, a drone program. Uh, the, the, it's crazy. The drone program, the, the increase in the value of people who know how to fly drones under all the rules and be able to, all the houses today, if you're selling a house, you're going to have drone footage mm-hmm. or some kind of piece of land. You're going to have drone footage. Uh, the economic development aspect of that is huge. And, and so we have a drone program That's awesome. because those are jobs. And the beauty of the career institutes, it's jobs you cannot outsource. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to come to your home. Somebody has to be out on the street to it. They're high wage jobs. Uh, and part of what we built into it is also entrepreneurship. So this is also our future small businesses, our plumbing shops, our, our electricians. I mean, we're very We're going to have 20,000 students in that program by the time it's all built out. So if you get elected to be a Dallas County judge, you have to work with the district attorney. Am I That's right? right? That's right. So what do you think about your likelihood that you and he will get along and uh, agree on stuff? Well, you know, we also have Faith Johnson running for a Dallas County judge. That would be uh, best. That, yeah. You know, and, and if, if, if history is any lesson here, this mm-hmm. will be a wave election for Republicans. We also have the Hispanic community that I can do outreach and I do a lot of crossover for. I've been basically the Telemundo Univision COVID immunologist guy for the last year and a half. So I've been on Telemundo Univision a lot. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that crossover, we're seeing Hispanics coming over to the Republican Party in huge numbers. In Virginia, 57% of Republicans voted I agree. Uh, for the Republican candidate. I, as, as a Hispanic, as a Mexican, American, I mean, to me, the values of the Republican Party, faith, family, good education, good jobs, mm-hmm. working hard, being able to be here for the land of opportunity, that to me are, are the same values in the Hispanic community as the Republican Party. And to me, Hispanics should have always been Republicans. And, and for me, they need to come home. Excellent. Yeah. Go ahead and give us our uh, your website and information one more time. Uh, EdwinForDallas.com. Edwin, the number four, Dallas.com. Uh, if you need more information, if you want to volunteer, if you want to donate, uh, any donation, five bucks, ten bucks, it all helps. It's going to be a big race. It's going to be an expensive race. Uh, the, the county judge has been able uh, over the last few years to basically get a lot of money from the east and the west coast. Uh, you know, people like George Soros that are supporting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, folks like this. I mean, he's already said he's going to put in, I think, $150 million this cycle. So edwinfordallas.com. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, thank thank you. you. You're listening to Alexander Friends 660 The Answer. This show is brought to you by Miller Title, Roberto Perez. And our podcast is brought to you by Old House Barbecue, Mr. Jose Guillen. Thank you for being with us this evening. Have a great weekend. Hey, soy José Guillén, dueño de Old House Barbecue y patrocinamos el show de Alejandra y Friends. Nuestros dos lugares están en Carrollton y Luzbio. Nuestra página web es oldhousebarbecue.com. Vengan a vernos. You've been listening to Alexandra and Friends, the podcast. Reach out to us on Facebook at Alexandra and Friends or write us an email, alexandraandfriends660 at gmail.com. Be sure to mark us as one of your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode.